There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Well, we'd like to thank you for tuning in today's podcast. And as we look at Psalm 147 today, we're going to look at praise again one more time as we go through these psalms of praise, closing out the psalms. And I realize there's different ideas of what the divisions of the psalms are and what the divisions of the psalms need to be. And I'm not going to contend with that, not dealing with that. We mostly deal with Messianic psalms. We've kind of wound down as far as Messianic psalms. But here we are on Psalm 147, a psalm of praise, and it boasts on the Lord. It boasts on Jesus Christ, our Creator, and how we bless His name and thank Him for that. And so we'll look at that with the Lord's help here in just a moment. But I wanted to announce this Sunday at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 6 p.m. We'll be at the Shippensburg Independent Baptist Church in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. And how we appreciate Brother Wagner and his friendship over the years. And I've uh, been knowing him, I guess, over 17 years now, probably 17 years in a few months. I met Brother Wagner, and it's always been an open door for us to attend, and it's local to us. And so uh, we can always attend if it's a snowstorm or a great sickness or affliction. But he also has used us in the ministry and how we thank God for that. And so pray for us this Sunday as we'll be filling in there. Brother Wagner will be away. And if you're in the area, don't have a place to go to church, we'd love to have you come. Love to have you visit with us. Psalm 147, praise ye the Lord, for it is a good thing to sing praise unto our God. He said, for it is pleasant. And then he says this great statement, and praise is comely. For it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant. The praise is a pleasant thing. And then he said, and praise is comely. So we know that it's a pleasant thing to sing praises, but then he also said praise is comely. There's a beauty to it. And so it's not out of sorts. It's not unusual or strange or weird or, or out of sorts as people label it today. But praise today has turned into a self-inflecting, self-looking ideal rather than just simply praising God with purity. And why do we praise God? Because of who he is? Why do we praise God? Is it because of what he's done? Why do we praise God? Because of his marvelous works? Well, he told us that, not only that, but it's because of who he is, but it's also for his wonderful works that he's done. And what a wonderful working God he is. And we ought to praise him. We ought to sing praises unto him. That's why it's so beautiful. It's lovely to see. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. For that he ought to be praised. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And we know that the Lord is able to do that. He takes his putrid sores and he mollifies them with ointment, according to the scriptures. Why? Because he's a faithful God. God can heal your broken heart. In the depths of your grief, God can heal you. In the angst of your sorrow, God can heal you. In the lowest moments of your life, God can heal. God can take you and bind up those wounds. And that's talking about that broken heart. There are wounds upon the heart that is broken. And, you know, so many things can break our heart. But the biggest thing that breaks our heart is personal relationships, grandchildren in sin, children in sin. 
children estranged from their parents. Divorce is devastating to the heart. When you've been made one flesh before God, that, that flesh is rent, it's ripped to pieces, it leaves wounds upon the heart. Death leaves great wounds upon the heart, the loved ones, those that we care so much about. And you stand more and more the older you get before that coffin. And you stand there, you look at people you love. And there's wounds upon your heart because of the hurt. There's wounds upon your heart uh, because of the pain of having that one rent from you. But God bindeth those things up. He taketh those hearts and he'll mollify them and he'll make them clean. He'll put that ointment of salve upon them. That balm of Gilead will come upon them and he'll bind up that broken heart and he'll bind that broken heart. He'll make it whole. Why? Because he healeth broken hearts. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He telleth the, the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. And it's Funny to me, the scientists have tried to name so many stars, and they had that program, and I think they still do it, where you can name a star, and they'll give you the coordinates, and if you have a strong enough telescope, you can see your star, because it's in the night sky, and they'll give you the coordinates, and there's so many stars now named after people and places and dogs and cats and individuals, but you know, the Lord's already named all the stars. That's why I've never bothered with that. The Lord's already named them. He knows them. He calleth them by names. Why? He created them, and he knows them. That, that sand upon the seashore, God's not concerned about that. He knows exactly how many grains of sand are upon the seashore. If he knows how many hairs are upon your head, and some of you, not many, I could count some people's hair, uh, but he's been upon the head of those that are uh, completely full-headed and completely filled with hair. God knows those things. He's, he's a great God. He's a mighty God. He's a great as our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. You cannot find the understanding of God. You can't get to the end of his understanding. God knows everything. He knows all things. And that's why men despise him. That's why men deny him. That's why they hate the idea of there being a holy God that watches over these things and cares for us. They hate the idea that God knows exactly what they're doing, exactly what they've done. He knows their thoughts. He knows the intents of their heart. He knows their risings up, they're setting down. God knows those things. And men want to hide from the face of God because they've done wickedly in his face. Uh, their sins are many and their great iniquities upon them. And they try to hide from the face of God. And the best way to do that is just to deny his very existence. That's why the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so men deny the very existence of God. And they deny the fact that God does exist and that he is the creator of all things. And, but he said, be sure your sins will find you out. They can hide from God and they can curse God and mock God. But one of these days is going to find them out because his understanding is infinite. In verse six, and that great statement again, lifteth up. Oh, how God lifteth up the head that hangeth down. God lifteth up the, the, the man out of the dung heap. God lifteth him up out of the bottomless pit. God lifts up man and how we praise him and how we bless his name for that. Not as he open eyes, he raises them up. He lifts them up. God is faithful to do that. And he said in this passage, the Lord lifteth up the meek. He ease casteth the wicked down to the ground. So God lifteth up the meek. That's those that don't defend themselves. And that's basically the definition of meekness when you don't have to defend yourself. And by the way, if you were just right with God, you wouldn't have to defend yourself. Part of the evidence that you're not where you need to be with God is you always have to defend yourself, defend your ministry, defend your actions. Now, I will say this. I do defend my office time to time. When there's those that rise up against the office that God has called, I will defend that office. But as far as personal attacks, may God help me not to defend myself. One of the ugliest things you'll ever see is a Baptist preacher trying to defend himself, defend what he says, defend his actions, defend how he lives with no meekness. But God is going to lift up that meek man. And then he's going to cast down the wicked to the ground. 
Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. That's a wonderful work of God. That's a marvelous work that God would do that, to cause that rain to come upon the earth, to make the grass to grow upon the mountains. And he does that with his water. He watereth the hills from his heavens. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. And so if God's going to give the beast his food, and what, what, what food does he give? Well, he gives them other animals. And he gives the beast uh, what they call the food, the food chain. And that little chickadee eats that seed, and then a big crow comes and eats that little chickadee. And then a, uh, a big cat knocks that crow out of the air and eats that crow. And then there's always something bigger and always something stronger. And, and that cat goes and, and somebody else kills the cat. You know, God does that. That's a work of God. And people but nature, oh, the wonder of nature, the wonder of now oh, how the natural world. And it is a natural world, but it's a natural world that God created and God made it so. And it, I marvel at people that they don't want to kill cows for food because they're either sacred or uh, that maybe they're a vegetarian or a vegan and they don't want to harm cows. But they'll go on these little jaunts to Africa and they'll watch a lion maim a zebra and they'll say, well, that's natural. And that's that's natural. That's that's just part of the cycle of life. And do you realize that man eating a cow is part of the cycle of life? They deny the existence of God with their foolishness. And they understand that God gave us that food. God gave the beast his food, and God gives uh, the young ravens which cry. God feeds them, and so what does God do? God feeds man. And God will give you cattle for your belly. God will fill your belly with goodness if you'll believe the word of God. If you'll just trust the word of God and. I saw a little thing interesting the other day. I thought it was at least interesting. And uh, they said, you know, what type of uh, plant, uh, you know, is in your is in your vegan burger? And the man said, well, it's a meatpacking plant. And so thank God for that. Thank God that God gives his beloved the food that they need. God will provide for you. Those priests, God's men would sit in that holy place and they would take of that offering and they would take of that cattle, take of that lamb, take of that bread, that meat offering, and they would eat it in the holy place because God provided that for them. That was God's provision for them. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. And I said for years, he ties that verse in there because the strength of the horse, of course, is his running. The strength of the horse is that he'll run to the battle and not turn aside and he will not be dissuaded. But yet the strength of a man is his legs. And that's why he's not pleased with the legs of a man. I had a young lady many years ago, I talked about that in the pulpit. She said, I always thought a, a man's strength with his arms, his chest. And I said, well, that's what Hollywood wants you to believe. That's what those guys do to, to try to look strong. They've had the appearance of being strong. But you show me a man that's legs are strong and you'll show me a strong man. It's not in your arms and your chest. And that's why I believe God's not pleased with the legs of a man. He's not pleased with a man's strength. He's pleased with a man that loves him. He takes pleasure in a man that honors him. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. That's the other word I was going to use, but I thought I'd wait for the verse. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. That's who the Lord taketh pleasure in, not the legs of a man, but those that fear him. Got a dear friend of mine in a wheelchair. A dear friend of mine is crippled, could already walk. I had a dear friend in ministry with polio, and, and he can walk with canes, but he moves extremely slow. And God's not pleased with his legs. No, but God is pleased with those that fear him. And those men have found fear with God. And God is pleased with them. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. Now, 
Again, you could make the case for this being Jesus Christ, his millennial reign. It is, O Jerusalem, praise God, verse 11, O Zion. And, but then he giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? But then he tells us why men can stand before his cold. Because he sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters flow. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. And so the Lord finishes the psalm speaking of Israel, the joy of Jerusalem, that God has dealt so with Jacob, which is Israel, and God has blessed them beyond any other nation. The other nations don't know this, but Yet the heathen nations, and I'll include this nation I live in as a heathen nation, they've denied the very existence of God. And yet what's interesting about this passage is even when they came out of uh, Egypt land, they came into that place that God had promised them into Canaan land, yet they still did not believe. They still murmured in the wilderness. They still would not trust God. They would not believe God. And we see that all through the scriptures. He said in, in 2 Kings chapter 17, they walked in the statutes of the heathen, verse 8. Verse 9, they did secret those things which were not right against God. In verse 10, they set up images and groves. In verse 11, they burned incense in all the high places, as did the heathen. Verse 12, they served idols. In verse 13, yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the saints, saying, turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But then he said, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks. Yet God did for no nation what he did for Israel. And yet they themselves hardened their necks against God. They rejected his statutes, rejected his covenant, rejected his testimonies, verse 15. They became vanity. They left the commandments of God in verse 16, made a grove, worshiped calves, caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. God was angry with them, removed them out of his sight. Yet God never did with a nation unless he did with the children of Israel. And then they were taken captivity. They were taken into Babylon, and God did with them as he pleased in Babylon. Yet he loved them as his own. He loved them as his children. Yet they defiled him and cursed him and mocked him and, and, and blasphemed his holy name. Yet he told Jerusalem, there's none like thee. I'll give you the finest of wheat. I'll satisfy you. When is God going to do that? He's going to do that in that reign of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes and puts his feet upon this earth, and for 1,000 years, he's going to rule and reign with that rod of iron. He's going to rule this world. And this earth is going to change. And this world is going to be different. All around us is going to be different. The physical earth itself is going to change. Why? Because Jesus Christ will rule and he will reign. I'm looking for those days. I'm looking for his imminent return in the air. I hope you're looking for his imminent return in the air. That's the end of our psalm today. Thank you so much for listening. There's a lost soul who's tired of his sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord, as he cries for forgiveness and mercy. God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website 
or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.